back. Hello, everybody. Welcome to At The Hive Live, part of the SB Nation Network podcast. I'm Chase. I'm here with my co-host, James. And the Charlotte Hornets are playing bound. The 10-seed Hornets will face the 9-seed Hawks in Atlanta at 7 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN on Wednesday night. And we are here to give you all the details that you will need heading into the postseason. But first, James, how you been doing today? I've been doing great. What, what a great weekend for sport. We had Hornets end of season. We had Masters, which I know both me and you have been watching and are big fans of, um, which was, you know, really good weekend. We had a big horse race over here, the Grand National which was good. Um, so, and then we had Liverpool Man City. I mean, it's just been a tremendous weekend of sport. And um, we, we are going to focus on the Hornets. I'm sure this will be glad to hear not about horse races in the UK. Um, the Charlotte Hornets have finished regular season chase with a winning record. Unfortunately, results did not go their way. The, the, the Nets understandably beat the Pacers. They've been trying to lose for a while now. The Hawks understandably beat the Hawks. I think uh, the Hawks understandably beat the uh, Rockets, even, um, understandably. And then the Bucks. This is the one that hurts, Chase. The, yeah. The Milwaukee Bucks laid a freaking egg. Like, they, I don't understand. Everyone was commending the Bucks for like playing their guys this last week while other teams are resting. Be like, they're not scared of Brooklyn. They don't want, and then they just rest the guys against the Cavaliers. Drew Holiday was playing, and I, I think I tweeted out being like, we're hoping for a Drew Holiday masterclass. He played eight seconds. Like, yeah, yeah, he got was, secured himself a, a three hundred five thousand dollar bonus, I think, for uh, sixty seven games played in the season, and then probably. checked right out. Oh, yeah, I, I mean, think Bobby that, Marks tweeted that. The, that that's what he did. I, that's exactly okay. Great. That's exactly what I thought had happened. I think I tweeted earlier today. Like, I presume he got some bonus for that. But my God, man, like that—that's the one that really hurts because they had a reason to win. That would have sent the Cavaliers down. We would then be playing the Cavaliers with a game advantage. That would have been a really nice spot to be in and I think would have been deserved for how this team has played in recent times. So it doesn't happen. Charlotte stay 10th. And I as we t- t- told you this before the show started. Charlotte have the best record for a 10th seed since the 2001, I believe the Sacramento Kings, I want to say, I think it was. In 2001, um, I know the Seattle Supersonics. Sorry, yes, the Supersonics who were still around. <laughs> yeah, right. That they haven't was, been a team for over a decade. and <laughs> That was the 2000-2001 season. So the Charlotte Hornets have got pretty unlucky here, uh, finishing 43-39. and 39. Normally going 500 is good enough to get the eighth seed in the East and to be four games over and to be 10th is just a, a testament to how strong the Eastern Conference is. Um, but I don't know, what, what were your thoughts from today's game? What are your emotions? Are you happy? Are you sad? Are you disappointed? Are you just looking forward to the play-in? It's kind of a weird one because it, it just how it's played out was a bit anticlimactic in the end, I think. It definitely was anticlimactic. I feel like going into the day, everybody was kind of rooting for maximum chaos, For especially if the, if the Pacers had beat the Nets, the Hornets would have jumped from 10th to 8th no matter what happened in the the Hawks and the Bucks Cavs game. So that would have been pretty cool. And the Pacers were within uh, single digits, like in the third and fourth quarter. So mm. it, lo- it was looking like we had a chance for a while there, but you know, all the play in teams eventually pulled away from the inferior teams that they were playing on the last day of the season, including the Hornets. Uh, they definitely got off to the worst start of all of those teams. Most of they, uh, all the other teams had built up 
double digit leads, like well over a dozen points, some, some close to 20, the, the bucks or the Cavs had gotten up pretty big on the bucks at one point, but the Hornets were only up two going into halftime against the wizards. It, I told you this before the show too. It was just a really weird, like kind of unentertaining first half. Like nobody was playing defense. The Hornets had some really like bad turnovers. Uh, the, they weren't shooting like particularly well from three. So it, it was just kind of like a very not or aesthetically unpleasing game, but it, they turned it around really quickly in the third, mostly thanks to Isaiah Thomas, the, the 14 points in seven minutes that he had off Spot the bench. Plug. What, yeah, exactly. It, it was vital. It pretty much turned the game around and was what kind of gave the Hornets the juice to break it open. Terry scored 10 straight, I think, in the fourth, uh, including a really tough uh, contested corner three. Jalen McDaniels had a tough contested corner three. He had a, another great game as well. And I, I, wanna, we're, I think we're going to talk about him later uh, as we head it roll into the play in here. But uh, they, 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 they turned it around really well in the third and fourth quarter. And by the time there was five or six minutes left, you, you knew that there was no chance that they were going to lose the, that game. So the most disappointing thing about that game, Chase, and I, I know, I know you've all been sitting there doing the exact same thing as me in the last two minutes is cheering for Arnoldus Kolboka to score. Yes. I wanted to him too. So bad. When he took that three, I yelled Arnie and my girlfriend was like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Who's Arnie? Yeah. There's a no, guy exactly. called Arnie who plays for the Hornets. It's like, what? I've never heard you yell that in my life. I don't know what the, I don't know who that guy is. Yeah, I, I mean, I felt bad for him. He was, he was in there. No one was passing the ball for three. He didn't touch the ball. Like, as soon as he touched no. it, he was like, yeah, I'm getting this up. Like, Buck Knight was, uh, was definitely looking uh, to get, get his there at the end as well, I think. Um, but, that, yeah, there was a lot of storylines in this game. Like you said, you, we touched on there. Um, I thought the second unit overall, I mean, if you look at Harold was plus 24, Ubre plus 19, uh, McDaniels plus 17. The second unit was just ace. I had, like random observation, and this is niche, but Isaiah Todd for the Wizards looked awful. I mean, just didn't look like he belonged on an NBA court. It was bleak. Yeah, he has had, uh, I feel like when he came out of the draft too, it was kind of like there could be a chance that it, it goes really badly as a rookie with him because there were times in the G League where he looked pretty raw as well. Uh, that he that he definitely had another showing of that tonight. Uh, he's he's been good at times for them this year. Like he's had some pretty good shooting games, but yeah, no, tonight was not his best outing. Burning Carey, however, he had a, he had a good game. Eleven and seven off the bench, uh, four for seven from the field. Uh, he did go three for eight from the free throw line, which uh, wasn't ideal. He he would have had a much a much better night in the box score if he shot better from the line, but. This was the Vernon Carey revenge game. It, it really was. It, what a bizarre storyline. The the Vernon Carey and Ish Smith versus Montrez Harrell tr- post trade deadline final day of the season. Just like those, there's just a weird game with so many like weird little subplots in there. Um, it was bizarre. And like the Wizards also had Denny Avdia and Rui Hachimura play like major minutes, and they were both guys who were heavily linked with Charlotte before their drafts. So just a, a weird all round game. Um, I thought Miles Bridges obviously struggled in this one. Um, Terry's here. I'm, I was really happy to see him finish the fourth quarter strong because Terry has been an like, underrated little bit of a slide recently, like struggling to score, especially from beyond the arc. He's hesitated in the last five games more than I've probably seen him since the very start of the season when he had the ankle injury. He's just, you can tell he's not feeling taking matchups one-on-one or, or get, getting to his three-point shot. And then that fourth quarter was the first time I've probably seen about five or six games him actually kind of really feel it and be be wanting to take the ball on. And I'm just glad we got to see that before heading into the playoffs because I, I was beginning to think he was 
getting inside his own head a little bit. And generally, the less Terrazier thinks, the better he plays. Um, so, uh, you know, I was, I was glad to see that. Yeah, so was I. It was, it was definitely really important for him to get going as we roll into the play in here because without Gordon Hayward, he is clearly the team's, like, go-to kind of isolation, get get a shot when we need one, slow it down and end a run type of player, uh, especially given how well he shoots the ball from deep off the dribble and off of the catch too. And if, if that can all come back to the level we're used to seeing Terry shoot the ball at for the play-in, the Hornets' chances are much better at going into the postseason. Do, do you think LaMelo played well tonight? Um, uh, the, I mean, probably not. I feel like he played fine. He did have a lot of really bad turnovers. Yeah. But uh, he made, he had some nice – I mean, he had some nice passes too. The, uh, the, it, I feel like it balanced out to him playing a decent game. But he ended up with 21, 10, and 9. So, I mean, that, that I feel like that's a good – good state or good testament to him if he can play that's, a decent game and end up with 21 10 and 9 that's exactly what i was about to say like yeah. i i watched the game and i'm like oh lamello you know had some poor turnovers uh like didn't didn't play like exceptionally well and i look at the box score and he had like yeah 24 10 9 oh, 24 sorry yeah obviously the eight turnovers and you're like wow he played <laughs> like just a, a pedestrian game, it felt like, and he almost had a twenty-point triple double, which yeah. is remarkable for for him. I'm, maybe we shouldn't be surprised at this stage, but but still, it was just it's just getting so used to seeing him do things which are not normal for someone of his age and his ability. But the turnovers are a worry because going back to that Indiana game last year in the play-in, he turned the ball over a lot. Then he's had a couple of games this year where he's had high turnover games and. I can guarantee you the Hawks are going to be trying to, to trap him and looking at all those high turnover games. Cause when he turns the ball over the Charlotte Hornets defense generally really struggles. Yeah. Cause I feel like a lot of his turnovers end up coming in like an advantageous position for the defense, like above the break or on a drive where he tries to kick it like back out above the break to a shooter. And then, you know, the defense just obviously has much shorter distance on the court to travel when they catch the ball right there but his three ball is dialed in right now he is scorching hot he i think he was four for eight today uh he has been shooting really well over the last i mean really his last like three or four weeks even but especially now it was really nice for him to i feel like to get that one last game where he shot really well or he was six for seven from three today but by the way that was my that was my fault for getting that one wrong but um, yeah, it's just good to see it for him to end the season on a high note like this and kind of have the momentum rolling into the play in. Uh, cause they obviously they didn't end the season on a high note last year, like losing pretty much every, every game that they had the opportunity to win to ensure themselves higher than the 10 seed they lost. And then they got, you know, shellacked in the playing game. And now I don't, I feel like now they're, they're coming into it at a much better state and much better mind frame. So. All, all of these things are positive. It, it doesn't, you know, necessarily mean that they're locked in to win the game or something like that, but it's definitely better. seems like it's better than it was at this point last year. So big picture, Chase. If we just judging regular season right now, okay, what the Hornets have done up to this point, how satisfied are you out of 10 with the season so far? Mm. Um, I would probably say like a, if I can do like half points here, I'd probably say like eight or 8.5. The month of February, definitely. It it, that's like most of what brings it down, honestly. Other than that, there really isn't a whole lot to be 
upset about? I feel about? like February should be like Voldemort. Like you can't say yeah. the, the name of the month, like the month that shall not be named. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. The one that is, comes between January and March. Uh, yes. We, we don't. <laughs> We the one like that it. shall remain nameless. Yeah, we, we don't like that. Thank, thank God it's the shortest one of the year, though. So <laughs> at, at least at least we got that. But yeah, yeah we, we definitely that that alone brings it down quite a bit just because it was such a long period of poor <laughs> uh, performance. But the rest of the year, I thought was was mostly like very, very encouraging and uh, usually at least fine. Like it rarely got bad outside of uh, that bad streak in February, which I, th- I think is good. You know, they, they limited their ups and downs for the most part to like a 30 to 40 day period. It's not like it was all season like it was at times last year where it was like three game win streak, five game losing streak, you know, back bouncing back and forth. But so, yeah, what, what, what do you think? I, f- I feel like I, I would say it's a pretty strong year. I'd go higher. I think I'd go nine out of 10. Yeah. Um, because if this team had finished seventh or eighth, everyone would have been running around saying, this is incredible. Look how deep the East is and the Hornets finished where they are. And let's be honest, Chase, they were a game or two. And I mean, literally, they were a, the Bucks playing the starters away from finishing eighth. They were, you know, a random buzzer beater at the end somewhere from, from moving up a game. Like they were a key injury player in that month of February or there was, a, there was that, what, that Cavs game, which they lost. Remember that Cavs game? Yes. If they lost oh, right God. at the end with a foul on Kevin Love. Like, like uh. any of those things change, and they are like an eight seed right now, and everyone's going insane. So for, if you're one of the people who looks at this and go, oh, 10th again, they're playing, like, I'm sorry, but you're just not seeing the bigger picture, and you're, you're not appreciating that, yes, they finished 10th, but it, by the tiniest, tiniest of margins – and that was probably only because the Bucks decided to randomly tank to avoid the Nets uh, tonight and the last last day of the season. So um, I, I go higher. I think you you know you now got the Mellow Ball, Miles Bridges as foundational pieces. You know this team can play at a good level without Gordon Hayward for an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. Halfway through the season, everyone was saying this team can't win games without Gordon Hayward, and. Now they've proven it since since he got injured in the last 22 games. They found a way to play effectively without Hayward, which is something that they've not managed to do in the year and a half before that. So I think that's a positive. I think PJ Washington, they've got a better version of him back. Um, Cody Martin has taken a massive step forward. Kelly Oubre, look, Kelly Oubre, he's going to win you quarters. He is going to lose you quarters. It's just what's going to happen. Like, we've had a kind of a good Kelly Oubre experience the last couple of games. If he plays poorly in the Hawks game, like, I think they'll lose. But if he plays well, I think they've got a great chance to win. And it really does feel like he's such a swing piece and his extremes are so high and low, it it could be like that. So, um, overall, I'm thinking higher. I think Harrell's been a really good addition. Um, Just a vet, plays super hard. I know he's got his limitations, but again, he was great tonight. Um, he's got some nice chemistry with Lamelo. I like that move. So overall, I'm saying a nine because we are, despite not moving up in the standings, this team has come such a long way in, in so many different areas. Yeah, I think a nine is definitely fair. I'd probably just stick with my my original 8.5. I don't think I'd need to go all the way down to an eight, uh, just two points for one, one bad streak. But I definitely agree uh, that like finishing in 10th again doesn't really, like it doesn't have any deter- real determinant on how, successful this season was because like where you finish in the standings 
is largely up to everyone else. Like there are 14 other teams in the East. Like they all, whether how good and bad those teams are determines where you finish more so than your own record. Like the Hornets were six games under 500 last year in the same spot. And now they're four games over. Like that is a 10 game improvement and they didn't move up a spot. Like that has, like that clearly has nothing to do with them. How do you improve 10 games and not say that the team got better because they didn't go from 10 to eight or like something like that, like, which isn't even a a largely like meaningful jump. It just would give you a better like home court situation in the play in tournament. But like those years when the bucks would play the Detroit, the Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond Detroit Pistons in the first round, like those teams were usually 500 or below. Like they were not good, but they were the eighth best team in the East because a lot of the other teams in the East were really bad. Like that doesn't have, that doesn't say the Pistons were good. Like those seasons were not like, oh my God, this was a world beating year. We were the eighth seed. It was just, it was just okay. Like, and then they got, they'd get swept and then it'd be done. Like, you know what I like, but the Hornets aren't like in a position to do that. Like they're down in this area with a lot of good, like the Brooklyn Nets, have Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant and they finished one game ahead of the Charlotte Hornets one game. Like this is, this is really good. This bodes very well for the future. I think even if they lose against the Hawks. Absolutely. And I'm not letting whatever happened in that Hawks game. I'm just not letting that influence my thoughts. Um, Even if they get blown out again, like um, it's a one game series. Yes, of course I would like them to be able to show up in big games and, and not get blown out. But I don't want people to judge the season on that game, and, and I know some people will. But whatever happens, it's been a it's been a fun ride. And by the shower NBA for the playing tournament, if the playing tournament did not exist the last two seasons, I think it would have been a much less enjoyable journey for Charlotte fans. Like both years, we've had something to play for. There's been meaningful games down the end of the season. Um, it, you know, the playing itself last year was painful. TBD on, on what this year's will be, but just I, I just think it's a great addition, especially for teams like Charlotte and the Kings and the other kind of you know high lottery NBA teams who now have something there, and it just makes covering the team so much more enjoyable. Yeah, absolutely, and anyone can win two games. You know, it's 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 not a, it's not a seven game series. It's just two games that are you know one one or one day apart. And if you can get hot on two nights from three, you know, if you're in the seven, eight, nine, ten 10 range, you know, those teams aren't that far apart in skill level. So if, if someone gets hot from three, they could definitely, I mean, I don't know if it'll happen this year or next year or whatever, but there will be a day where the 10 seed wins both games and jumps up to eight and makes the playoffs. And I feel, I, I feel like that's going to be really cool when, whenever that happens, maybe, maybe it'll be this year with the Charlotte Hornets, but we'll have to see. And Chase, give us the uh, the stats on the offense and defense, where they've ended up overall this year. So I know there's we're, – we're recording this straight after the Wizards games. So there's some games still going on tonight. But if we, if we assume nothing changes too much, where are they ranking overall for offense, defense, and then their, their point differential over the season? So the Hornets ended up the season in eighth in offensive rating as a 113.6, which they spent, a I mean, probably 30 to 40% of the year in the top three and then – once that bad streak hit, they kind of fell down out of the top 10 and never quite recovered up to the high that they were at. Uh, but they did finish the year 22nd in defense with a 113.1 defensive rating, which obviously better than previous years. And they kind of steadily climbed up as the year went on. 
uh, over the last like month or two, they've played a little bit better defensively as well as this like this lineup has kind of settled in and been able to build some chemistry together. So I feel like that that's a, a bit of a positive. And then their uh, net rating was actually a 0.5, which is the first time that they were a positive net rating since 2017-18 season. So it's been about four or five years since we've seen a positive net rating in, in Charlotte. And a- another easy way to show the improvement here. So I'm looking at the year before stat, the 72-game sh- the season. Sh- Charlotte's point differentials was minus 2.5. Okay. So straight away, that, that is a, a point differential of three that has improved. That is a massive amount from being minus 2.5 to plus in one season. That's incredible. Offense was ranked 22nd last year. They moved up to eighth. That is a huge jump. Defense was actually ranked 20th. So they really? slipped two places. Yeah. Uh, what was the actual defensive rating on cleaning the glass? So last year it was 113.5. What was it this year? Uh, 113.1. Okay, so the defense actually got a little bit better. Yeah, which that that makes year. sense though, with how uh, the new officiating rules were implemented and all yeah. that. Like, I think each of the last two years before this year were the the NBA record for the worst defensive rating. Great I think it was point. the Kings and somebody else. But so maybe yeah. that's why. But still, I mean, the, the defense did improve by a very slight yeah. amount. So, and and I think the other thing is that you you'll have had Lamelo out for a large period of the time. So the team will have played slower while Devontae was in, and that would have probably helped the defense just with less possessions. But anyway, so Charlotte's jump is across the board. It's it's undeniable. It's been a fun regular season, apart from the month that shall not be named. Um, and this stretch run, I think the Hornets, like Brago said the other day, this is the best they've played this season. Would you agree that the last, you know, two weeks, it's been the best Hornets have played this year? Mm. May probably as a team, I think that maybe when they're at their absolute peak, uh, like definitely okay, I would definitely say it's the best over a large stretch. But I think they've had they've definitely had individual games. I think their best individual game might have been like earlier in the season when guys like Terry and Kelly were really hot from three cons- uh, consistently. Like Terry hasn't been quite as good lately. Obviously, Gordon Hayward has been out and stuff like that too. But I w- I would probably say that their best most well-rounded stretch has probably been in this last couple weeks here. They've beaten some good teams. I mean, they beat the crap out of the Bulls the other night. Not that they were, you know, rearing to go playing like full strength and with full effort that night, I guess. But they, I mean, they still beat, beat them really badly. So they've, they, I've, it's been encouraging over the last couple of weeks. I'd, pro- I'd probably agree with Bragg on that. He, he might know better than I would too, I guess. And they've been 13 and six since the All-Star break, which Borrego's kind of mentioned a few times that, I think at one point they had the third or the fourth best record in the league since the All-Star break. Um, things, are, if you remember how dark it was during the All-Star break, like we were just desperate for it to, to come. It was just a break. And for the team to, to bounce back from that negative slide where everything about the team at that point felt pretty toxic to, to, to kind of come back and, and really finish the season strongly, it's just it's refreshing because the Hornets have not finished the year strong in a long time. Um, you know, it's not only been clinging on, on at the end. So it, it's been, it's been a fun ride. I've enjoyed it. As have I, but we will continue talking about the rest of this ride, which will hopefully last for a little bit longer. It won't, won't be over on Wednesday night, but 
James and I are going to give you all some preview details for that playing game against the Hawks at 7 p.m. on Wednesday when we come back from the other side of the ad break. See you guys in a minute. And we're back in preparation to preview the play in between the Hornets and Hawks. James and I each watched the two most recent games between those two teams. I watched the game on March 16th. And James, what day was the game that you watched? January 23rd. So we, we each watched one game and we took a whole bunch of notes on the matchup, you know, whatever things that we thought stood out to us, what we thought might be important to take note of for the playing game, things that might translate. And uh, we've got a whole bunch of stuff to share with you guys. So we hope that you are ready for this. So, James, do you do you want to start with uh, your notes from January? Because that was the more yeah, uh, like, well, game further in the past. Yeah. So just headline for the, for the January game. The the Hornets lost 113 to 91. OK, so it's a pretty I, I want to also give us credit here because we didn't just watch the, the Hawks game. We also watched Nets games as True. well. We did yeah. because we were prepped for for Nets slid. And this is before the Cavs that likely. Um, so we, we put in our homework here and it's all, all for this big moment. So I'm hoping we're going to shine here. Um, but yeah, the Hornets lost the game. To be honest, it was it was generally pretty tough. Um, kind of key things, Hawks starting unit was Trey Young, DeAndre Hunter. John Collins played this game and he's been out recently and sounds like he's likely to be out of the plane as well with finger and foot injuries. Um, Kevin Herter and Clint Capella started the game. Um, so the the Hawks are rocking a little bit of a of a different starting lineup now because of the John Collins injury. Um, was he starting in your game as well? No, he didn't play in the one that I watched either. And who who started in place of John Collins in that game? Uh, it was Gallinari, Hunter, Young, Capella, and her were the five starters in that game. Okay, so yeah, how about your what? Your game, I believe you got the good games. You got the games that we won. You got I enjoyable did. ones to rewatch. Yeah, no, both both of the ones I watched, uh, the Hornets won. But the game against the Hawks, they won one sixteen to one oh six. It was it started off as like a pretty high high, Jesus, a pretty high paced game in the first quarter, but it settled down pretty much and kind of just became like an average pace going back and forth for the rest of the game. Uh, the Hornets had a pretty good defensive second half. Uh, it was m- much more high scoring in the first half, but the second half defense is kind of what did the Hawks in. Uh, Melo got nearly got a triple-double with 22 points, eight rebounds, and 11 assists, uh, shot five for 10 from deep. Uh, Trez had 20 and six off the bench. This was uh, during that streak of like 20-point games that he had off the bench for the Hornets. That was right fresh after. Trez, fresh off the it trade was. Trez, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was. He, this, that was a, he had all the energy back uh, back in that, the month of uh, February and March. I think he had like five or six 20-point games off the bench within the first month of coming to the Hornets. This was one of them. He had 20 and six. He was six or seven from the line, seven or nine from the field. Uh, and then Plum had 12, 10, and four, and Bridges and Rozier each had 18 points. PJ had 16. So it was a pretty well-rounded performance. There wasn't really one guy that did the whole thing everybody contributed in a in a valuable way so what what were your kind of if you if we're talking now again previewing this playing game what are the key lessons that that you took from watching that that you're thinking that's what led the hornets to having success against the hawks team because that was a pretty recent game um what were the key takeaways there that you think are important to be aware of heading into this game so the biggest one for me and i'm i'm curious to see how you know this went for in your game because I, I didn't watch that one and I don't remember but 
at the end of the game, they went small and had PJ in at center. And that's kind of what helped them not necessarily like pull away, but maintain the lead and then add some points to it to kind of put the Hawks away at the end, uh, which kind of, it just goes to show how important PJ's matchup versatility is. Like you can play him at the four or you can play him at the five. And in certain situations that can break the game open for you. If the other team isn't ready for that type of matchup. Uh, and it's not like Plumley or Trez had a bad game. Like Plumley had a double double with four assists. Trez had ten and six, but PJ still came in and made a noticeable impact in a way that was a lot different than them and changes the course of a game in a way that's a lot easier than either of them can because they're just much more traditional centers. Like Trez is just going to set hard screens, roll to the rim, finish well. Plumley's going to do that and then jump in the air and throw a pass over the back of his head to somebody in the corner uh, instead of taking a layup. Uh, and then it, you can just throw PJ in and cause problems for an opposing center because he's such a threat to shoot off of ball screens. He can handle, he can pass. And on the other end, he's a, he might still be the best rim protector of the three. So, I mean, his, his I thought that his role may have decreased uh, when Hayward came back, but obviously that's not going to be a problem anymore. So I think he's, he's going to be a very important piece uh, in this, in this playing game. I think uh, I, apart from what you said earlier, I think him, him and Ubre, apart from, you know, just the Hornets, score like miles bridges and lamello like scoring their normal amount and shooting well those those two might be uh the key pieces to it to a hornets victory so interesting about pj washington going small so in the hornets game uh in against the the hawks in january they didn't play pj much at the five essentially until they were like down big and that was like the right we're down. We need to find some offense. Let's let's go with PJ being small. And probably my biggest takeaway from my game was that Clint Capella just completely changed the game. Mm-hmm. Um, he sat on, under under the rim at all times, and he just got like he didn't finish with a good stat line. He had seven points, eight rebounds, and one block. But you and he only played twenty six minutes. But he played. He just impacted the game so so much. He sat there. Lamella Ball could not get into the paint. Like, and whenever he did, he struggled. Lamella went 6-17 or 17 in the game that I watched. And a lot of other guys struggled when they were getting into the paint. We're getting really influenced by Clint Capella's shot. Um, and, and when they moved PJ Washington to the five, like PJ hit two or four from three. Um, like we're really trying to obviously stretch them out a little bit because he was just sitting under there and was just clogging everything up for the team. And what that also meant was... The Hornets, the Hornets shooters were being really well guarded by the Hawks because Capella was being such a force inside that they just couldn't get open. So Charlotte in this game was zero for 16 on their threes at halftime. They didn't hit three in the first half. And even by like the third quarter, they were one for 20 before they hit their first three. because And they just weren't getting good looks. They, they probably missed like two open ones. But out of the 20, the rest were like semi-contested tested and that's because the Hawks were just never put into rotation because they weren't switching Capella was just sitting deep and everyone was staying home and and it, it was really tough to score and the only guy who really kind of managed to break that and get inside and score was Miles Bridges who looked to be a really tough matchup for that Hawks team and that was even with John Collins so again I, I do think Miles Bridges I don't, I don't know how he played in the game that you watched but he, he had definitely had the best game of any Hornets that day, kind of driving and scoring inside and managing to be the only guy to really score on Capella in the middle. 
See, in the game that I watched, Capella was hugely impactful too. He had 17 mm. and 15 with seven offensive rebounds in that game. But I mean, and it's not like I, Trez or Plumley played bad uh, either, but it's just Capella, the way that he can impact the game, uh, it's not really something that the Hornets have. And it's not really something the Hornets can defend all that easily because he is clearly like stronger, more physical, bigger, like maybe probably even more aggressive than Montrez, definitely Plumley. But so that that matchup is probably one that he's going to win and he's probably going to impact the game in a way that's noticeable uh, while we're watching the play in. But whether or not it leads to a Hawks win, I think, you know, that that obviously is up for up for debate because it, the, the Hornets did win this game that Capella had 17 and 15 with seven offensive rebounds. And it wasn't it wasn't close at the end. It wasn't you know, it wasn't a blowout. But I thought Plumley looked for his own shot a little bit more, maybe to try and like keep up with Capella. And I, and Montrez is going to battle with a guy like that. He's not going to back down, obviously. So they do. They at least have that going for him. It could have been an unproductive night, but it wasn't. So and I, I think in that game, if I'm recalling correctly, the way they play Trey Young was really kind of putting two on Trey yeah. whenever he came off the ball screen. Yes. And that essentially left Capella as like a free dive man. And it was up to the weak side to kind of rotate over. And it, they did the same thing, but just to a less successful extent in the game. But like Capella definitely like Trey Young's first look after those two guys come like come with him off the ball screen is he's thinking, can I throw a lob to Capella? Or can I throw a bounce pass to split the two defenders to get it to Capella? And then that puts the Hornets full into rotation. And, and you know, he's got a lot, a lot of easy baskets at the rim. And how well they defend that initial, they don't let Trey get to his comfortable three spot. They don't let Capella get alley-oops at the rim. If they can stop those two things, I think they're in a pretty good spot because that's like the bread and butter of what Trey and Capella are looking for. Um, the, another really interesting takeaway from my game, and they, they actually showed this stat on the telecast. But over the last two seasons, Trey Young, this was against the the whole of the NBA. His averages were 27 and a half points, 45% from the field and 38% from three. Against the Hornets over the last two seasons, he's averaged 16 and a half points, 32% field goal, 24% from three. And like that night, I think he had, he, he didn't have a great game. He had about 20 points, uh, four rebounds, for uh, sorry, 30 points. I sound corrected. It'll hit eight threes, <laughs> four <laughs> rebounds, four assists, and hit eight threes with 30 points. So he had a good night that night, but then I'm pretty sure in the game that you played, he had an absolutely horrendous night, or like he, he really struggled, or he had a lot of assists, but really struggled to score. Yeah, um, it, was, it was probably it was his season low. He only had nine points in that game. He it was three for 12 from the field. He finished with 15 assists, but yeah, that I mean, it. I don't I watch enough Hawks games, but that I mean, that very well could have been his worst game of the year. And how many threes did he get up in that game? Uh, he was uh, oh, oh god, I, the box score is gone. But he he was three for twelve. I don't think he made a three. I think he went zero for six. I want to say I'm my now my computer is going so slow. This is great. I, radio I can here. I can fill in my end. So oh for six, yeah, oh, a three for twelve, zero oh for six. I didn't have to do any of that. I was right. Okay, so he was eight for fifteen from three against Charlotte in this game. So really got them up there, and like he hit some really tough ones, including like a one legger at one point. But there were times where like. Capella would just do like a screen and then he'd re-screen and the Hornets just weren't up on it and were not being aggressive enough. And he was just able to kind of step into a comfortable three. Um, and so I think the Hornets have generally done a good job on Trey Young over the last two seasons. They didn't on the, on the game that I watched, but they did really well the next night. 
And they, their approach definitely is give up open shots to Gallinari, uh, Lou Williams, Herter, Hunter, and like make those guys beat us rather than Trey Young. That is definitely their approach. It is all focused on stopping Trey. And yeah, if Capella has to put the ball on the deck twice to score inside, we kind of think that we can get enough hands in there to turn it over or that he might miss a layup or he might miss the foul shot. It, it's definitely going to be stop Trey at all costs and everyone is going to go crazy about the open shots that the other Hawks get. But I, th- I think, again, in your game from memory, the Hawks shot pretty well in the first half and then the second half, it just dried up. And, and that's when Charlotte kind of pulled away and went on the run. So I expect to see more of that. And the Hawks are ready for it. The Hawks have seen that his career low was the last time he played the Hornets. So they're going to be looking at ways, right, how are the Hornets playing the defense? How can we get Trey more looks? Um, I expect him to have another high assist game. All of our talking points have led perfectly well into each other because you're definitely right that the plan seems to be to force the other role players to take them uh, all the shots because Bogdan Bogdanovich and Kevin Herter both led the team in field goal attempts in the game that I watched. Uh, Bogdanovich went five for 16. Herter went six for 16. And then Capella had 14 shots and Hunter had 13 before you get to try with 12. So regardless of how well he is going to be shooting, the Hornets are just going to be forcing the ball out of his hand regardless. Like even if he's shooting poorly, they're still going to get the ball out of his hands because he's the type of player that can catch fire in an instant if you let him we obviously saw that against the Knicks Sixers and Bucks last year in the playoffs so but um and also uh you you talked about the ball screen defense and stuff like that um the aggressiveness in this game I thought was really good in that aspect uh, especially from LaMelo like Cody Martin obviously did really well but that's like that's just what Cody Martin does like he's just a really aggressive like extremely effective point of attack defender um he was, good, him, he was good in my game too. He, yeah. he really, he really just kind of was the first guy who really stopped Trey getting what he wanted. He was, he was strong in this game. Yeah, when when you can get Cody Martin and Lamelo like both up top, uh, not you know necessarily at the same time, but like rotating it, rotating in and out, defending the point of attack. If you can get both of them like shutting guys watered off in the in one game, like that, that's when the Hornets defense succeeds because it doesn't matter that your rim protector isn't great. If you have a quick 6'6 guard and then a guy that's 6'5 with a lot of strength and quickness and extremely high defensive IQ uh, defending who is what is most likely the other team's best ball handler. And in the case of the Hawks, their best ball handler and by far their best scorer like that, that team's going to have trouble like because the Hornets are all quick on the on the weak side, like guys like Jalen McDaniels. Miles Bridges, PJ Washington, they all rotate well. They all rotate quickly. They can protect the rim. They're all pretty long, strong, athletic. Like, And wh- when it stops at the beginning and guys like LaMelo and Cody Martin are causing lots of problems consistently, like the, Horn- that, the, the Hornets, are, if that happens in the game uh, on Wednesday, the Hornets are going to be in really, really good shape. And they don't, they don't have to limit Trey to a season low nine points, like three for 12 shooting, like, just make it difficult, make guys like Bogdanovich, Herter, Gallinari shoot, uh, make them turn it over a little bit, like make them work, like dribble a lot up at the top of the perimeter before they can make their passes to get into the actions, like going towards the rim. And they, they'll definitely be in very good shape, I think. So that that, that was probably the most encouraging thing I saw, but uh, the mo- apart from the most interesting being like pulling away late uh, with small ball. How, how many minutes did Gallinari play in your game with no John Collins? Uh, he he only played fourteen. He was he he wasn't like bad, but 
Oh, did he, he leave he the game with an injury? I think he was questionable for the game and left it halfway through. Now you oh, mentioned you're it. right. You're definitely right. He definitely. I don't. Th- I don't remember if they mentioned it uh, on the broadcast, but yeah. you're definitely right because he didn't play uh, in the like second half. I don't think. I mean, that's one thing that when Hayward was playing, they used to get they used to switch Hayward onto Trey Young and they used to go ISO and Trey Young a lot. Mm-hmm. That was something yeah. that Charlotte had quite a lot of success with. Yeah, one of Hayward's and- uh, forty point games came against the Hawks this year. Absolutely. And it's not something they really looked at. They actually posted up Cody Martin on Trey Young once in my game, which was an (laughs) experience. Um, It didn't go too well, but like, I I like the idea of it. Yeah, no, the theory that that, that works. Yeah, pick up fouls. Maybe not Cody Martin. Maybe try and get someone like Miles Bridges or someone with a bigger body. PJ Washington used to to playing the foot kind of with a back to the basket a little bit more. But when the Hawks were playing like Danilo Gallinari out there, I was just like, he they were switching everything. Lamelo got switched on to Gallinari and he like, he was getting towards the end of the shot clock and he gave it to Miles Bridges who had a Kongwu on him. And I was like, why have you just given it up to Miles got Kongwu on him? Like better defender. You've got Danilo Gallinari on the perimeter. Like you can string him out one-to-one and you can get past him for a pass, a shot, like, or a step back. You could probably do what you want. So that's one thing I think that we need to be really aggressive against Kevin Herter, Danilo Gallinari, uh, Lou Williams, if he gets back in the game as like a backup ball handler. Um, th- those are kind of key things for me to be aggressive, attacking those switches, Trey Young as well, obviously, and, and not settling and kind of going at the guys, not going at DeAndre Hunter, who's, to be honest, one of the, the guys who's done the best job on the mellow, I think, over the last year, year and a half, mm. but, uh, defending the primary ball handler. I, I've really liked what I've seen from him. Yeah, he's you really know, been good. really physical and been able to cut him off getting to the paint. Um, not going at guys like Capella or Kongwu or Delon Wright. So it's just about being wise with your matchups and your ISOs at the end of the shot clock. And um, I want to bring up a Kongwu real quick too, because he played pretty well in the game that I watched 14 and five, seven of eight from the field with a couple of blocks. Um, I think some Hornets fans might want to be ready for Capella and a Kongwu to make it look like they're like, you know, bruising the Hornets, like outplaying them on the interior. Um, but the Hornets, like, that's just not a style that they're ever going to succeed at. Like, they're never really going to be the team that, like, oh, we're getting beat up on inside. Like, oh, let's go. We're going to dump it to Plumlee, like, four four possessions in a row and see if he can jam it back down with Capella's throat or something like that. Like, it's, it's just probably not going to happen. But as long as they're countering that with, like I said earlier, the good perimeter defense and just like the only kind of option that Atlanta has for productive offense is one of those big guys rolling towards the rim. That, that's fine. You know, and, and if, as long as the Hornets are shooting well, I, that, I think that's obviously going to balance it, balance itself out over the course of a game because the Hornets tend when they shoot well from three, they just kind of tend to win because they take so many of them. They have so many good shooters. If, if you're shooting well from three and you're limiting the Hawks offense to being, you know, kind of their big men, being the most efficient source of it, that's it seems like a recipe for winning to me. So now we've gone through both games. What are you what are you thinking? What are your predictions for Wednesday's playing game on the road in Atlanta? Um, are you feeling a Hornets win? Are you feeling a competitive loss? Where's your where's where's your head at after watching the game, after seeing how the team have played recently, seeing how the Hawks have played? I think this is just the the believer in me, but I really do feel a win right now. I'm, I mean, the next game, whether they be Cleveland or Brooklyn, who knows? But I do. I think this this game right here, they're they're set up well. 
they tend to play the Hawks pretty well. They obviously beat them in the last game that they played them. Uh, I mean, and I think I just feel like right now with the way that they've been playing, especially if the Terry picking it up over the last game or two is going to be a thing going into the playoffs and he's going to continue, you know, picking it back up and getting back to the level of a shooter that he's been. I really feel like it's going to end up well for them. I don't I don't necessarily have an articulate reason as, as to why other other than for the details that we explained already. But I don't know. I, I just I just feel pretty good right now. I feel like last year just. I don't think at the very least that's not going to happen again. So it, I definitely think a competitive loss would be the worst case scenario, but I, I really, I really do feel a win right now. What about you? God damn it, Joe. Oh no. Are you going to make me do this? Yeah. Are you, you, you going to be gonna... the Debbie Downer? Did I, I, no, I, no. I, I was hoping you were going to be the Debbie Downer. Oh, okay. okay. All right. This is good. I'll take that though. I'll this, take that. This is good. What, this we're, is, the, we're the we're positive Hornets it. podcast. Remember? Oh, I, that's true. That's true. I actually think, I actually think they got a really good chance. Like you said, they've yeah. played over the past three, se- two seasons, they've played Trey Young really well. And if, if I'm having to like rely on Kevin Herter and Bogdanovich to beat me, they absolutely can, right? But I'm happy taking that chance. Like I, I think there's a there's a route here that makes some sense. Um, and this Hornets team is playing with confidence. They're rolling. Um, yeah, I I think they can at least win the first game. Winning two in a row, they, they've just not generally been consistent enough to, to kind of win two in a row. Um, really knows, high stakes but, games too, that, especially if it's against Brooklyn like that. That would well, be a tall task. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and like the, the credit I will give them because I've criticized them on this podcast saying that whenever there's a big game, the Hornets have kind of shrunk in the spotlight and have not performed their max. And in recent times, they beat the Nets. That was a playoff like atmosphere. They beat the Hawks in your game. That was a playoff-like atmosphere. They beat other teams down the stretch. Um, you know, the Bulls, the Jazz. They've played really well in some of those games. Um, I I think they've taken a little bit of belief. And Borrego, I think, has said as much. He said that, like, yes, you might look at it and go Hornets are 10th in the plane again, but this team is in a very different place mentally than what they were last year. Like, last year they were clinging on, had no positive momentum. This year is completely different. And... I tell you what, this is the the Hawks are scared. Like the I can guarantee you, the Hawks would rather play the Cavs than the Hornets mm-hmm. in this playing. They are they are not thrilled about this situation. I can promise you, um, especially the hardcore Hawks fans who watch. They know the Hornets have played them pretty well. Um, they've got more postseason experience. They went to the Eastern Conference Finals last year. Trey Young was incredible. Um, you know they've got home court advantage as well. Atlanta is not a great home crowd, but it's still home court. Um, I, I would, I think it's almost a 50, 50 flip, but I, I think they could do it. Maybe that's just a believer in me. Cause normally I'm a glass half empty guy. Like we all know this, that I just wait for things to go wrong. But for once, I just feel there's something different about this group. I really do. Mm-hmm. Me um, too. And I'm, ex- I'm really excited to watch the game. I'm extremely excited. It's, it's uh, a bit unfortunate that it's not a, um, Bali sports broadcast. So if they don't win both of these next two games, we've heard the last of, uh, of Eric Collins and Del Curry and Ashley and West for the year, which is, which is a bit unfortunate, but we just have to hold out hope that they'll get to the, the first round of the playoffs and they'll be fine. But also I was, I was just scrolling through cleaning the glass. We, we can end it on this one unless you have uh, more to share, but 
the Hornets uh, five-man lineup right now that's starting games of uh, LaMelo, Rozier, Miles Bridges, P.J. Washington, and Mason Plumley is plus 10.1 point differential. The Atlanta oh, yeah. Hawks. I like it. Yep, the Atlanta Hawks current starting lineup of Trey Young, Kevin Herter, DeAndre Hunter, Danilo Gallinari, and Clint Capella, which started the uh, season finale today against the Rockets. Uh, maybe they change it for the play, and if John Collins is somehow healthier, they feel some matchup uh, serves them better. But that lineup is plus two point eight. So the current starting lineup for the Hornets is seven points better uh, in point differential than the current starting lineup for the Hawks. So, the th- it's it really does seem like it's adding up for the Hornets to have a chance to get to the eight seed here, but we'll, we'll have without, to see. Without Gordon, and we've gone through this whole podcast by with it, by the way without yeah. even mentioning. Yeah, Gordon we, we, Hayward that's not true. Being we didn't even mention that. Yeah, I feel like, I yeah, it will. I saw you tweet that you weren't. Uh, you were like a little bit, you know, disappointed or upset or sad to hear it, but not necessarily surprised. I was like a little bit surprised just because he came back for that one game. So I figured he would be, he'd be all right if that was the case, but obviously like a cast for two weeks. Yeah. Like that's obviously not good. Like whatever they not good. No, which kind of leads me to think like he was pushing really hard to come back and like be available for this, but then he did come back and it obviously wasn't enough. And then his body didn't react well or something. No, not at all. Something is not, and then they're going to reevaluate who comes out of a cast and goes on a basketball court. Like, I'm just saying. Yeah, um, not, not, that's not really how that works. Yeah. <laughs> it so usually takes I, a little I, bit. Like, if, if they play well enough to get through the play in without Gordon Hayward, I just don't see a world where they'd be like, yeah, we've managed to what, win two games against the Hawks and then win two games against Cleveland or Brooklyn. And yeah, now we're going to bench all those, the, one of the players who's got us through that four game winning streak uh, for Gordon yeah. Hayward. It's just not going to happen. So, Gordon Hayward is pretty much out for the year. Um, but, that, I mean, what happens with him in the future, that's just fascinating. Um, my, oh, I have yeah. to say that my my take of that signing being a pretty terrible one is aging better and better, I have to say. Um, I hated that signing at the time. Absolutely ripped it to shreds. Um, still not a fan. But it, it's been a really good learning experience in the second half of the season. But, no, we can, we can, we can end it there. I think we can end it there. All right, that sounds good. We hope you guys enjoyed uh, this play and preview episode. It's a, l- a little bit uh, le- a l- less of a, of a circus than our play and mega preview last year. So we hope you guys still enjoyed. Uh, we will see you guys after the playing game, uh, whenever that may be. We- hopefully we get- we're going to discuss a win on Wednesday night or Thursday morning. Uh, if, it's- if not, then that will be our final podcast of the Hornets uh, 21-22 season. But Hopefully it's not. So thank you guys for listening. Thank you as always for sticking around. We'll see you soon. Go Hornets. Go Hornets, baby.